you, Pastor Katie. We continue on in our sermon series today, In the Beginning. Up to this point, everything has been good and beautiful, restful and delightful up until this point. We're reading from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that we encounter you through uh, this word proclaimed, and we pray, as we do often, that your preacher be nothing more than just a vessel. We pray that this word uh, challenge us to go about living our lives in a different sort of way, a way that is more holy as you are holy. It is through Christ that we pray. Amen. Some of you have previously heard me mention the front yard and sidewalk at my grandparents' house. As a child, That little two-foot-wide and 25-feet-long sidewalk and the 40-square-foot little yard was my paradise. There was many a World Series game staged on that little sidewalk and on that little lot. Hours would be spent hurling the baseball off of the sidewalk steps and then fielding it as it came back toward me. But there was one main rule in paradise, one main rule of my sidewalk baseball stadium that me and my imaginary friends had to obey. This was the one rule that was above all rules. 
no matter what, do not let the ball break any glass. Windows, doors, whatever, do not break the glass. One day, deep in what I'm sure was a suspenseful game of baseball between me, myself, and I, the little neighbor kid who lived across the road from Mama and Papa came outside. His name was Mark. And Mark summoned me to throw the ball to him so that we could throw the ball back and forth across the road with one another. I knew it was probably a bad idea. Mark may have been all of six at the time, and I may have been all of ten. But I threw the ball across the road. After that first time of throwing the ball across the road, Mark slung it back toward me, and I leapt just as high as I could leap to try to snag the ball out of the air to no avail. The ball hit the glass storm door at Mama and Papa's, causing it to shatter. I turned around and I looked, and all I was able to see was brokenness. Brokenness everywhere. And I turned back around to look at Mark, and Mark was gone. <laughs> back into his own house he went. So I did what you would expect me to do. I took off too. I ran around the side of the house hoping that Mama would not realize what had happened, that it was actually not me or my baseball that caused all of the brokenness. So I crashed down beside the house and I could hear the sound of Mama walking through the house and onto the porch. Boy, she said, where are you? I did not respond. Jabe, you come on out here. You know what you did. There's no point in hiding. I eased out of the security of my hiding space, and I presented myself before her, knowing that I was still at that point a little bit faster than she was. I made sure not to get too close. You threw your baseball through the storm door, she said. Mm-mm. No, I didn't. Her eyes filled with a justifiable rage. Boy, you threw that baseball off of those steps, and it broke the door. Mm-mm. No, I didn't. Jabe Largen, don't you lie to me. I promise I did not throw the baseball. Mark did it. Mark did it. Yep, it was Mark. Well, where is Mark? He ran off. How did Mark get the baseball? I threw it to him. It was at this point in the interrogation that I realized that despite my finger pointing, Mark would not be the one who had to suffer the consequences of the broken storm door. 
those consequences would fall directly to me. Because, you see, even though I was not the one who threw the baseball through the glass, I am still one who threw a baseball. If the first sin of humanity was the eating of the forbidden fruit, then the second sin which results is the finger-pointing and the blame game that ensues. They could hear the sound of the Lord God walking through the garden after they tasted the forbidden fruit. Now, prior to the fruit incident, they were naked and they were proud. But now they are clothed in fig leaves, fear, and shame. And God says, where are you? And they say, we're hiding. And God says to the male one, the one we know as Adam, what happened? Boy, did you eat the fruit? And Adam says, she made me do it. The one you gave me, she made me do it. And trying to free himself from the consequences of his own actions, Adam points a finger at Eve and a finger at God. You gave her to me, and she gave me the fruit. Otherwise, I'm innocent. Then God says to the female one, the one we know as Eve, what have you done? And Eve says, the serpent made me do it. At least Eve doesn't blame God, yet she still points the finger at something else. Just like Adam, she does not accept the consequences of her own actions. Instead, she places blame on the serpent. The serpent made me do it. Kind of sounds like that old childhood or perhaps grown-up refrain, the devil made me do it. It's important here to to note that uh, commentators throughout uh, history have tried to say that the serpent was, in fact, some devil. But the evidence simply is not there. The serpent may be representative of evil, but the serpent itself does not appear to be the pure manifestation of evil. After all, if you've been paying attention, prior to this moment in Genesis, nothing has fallen. Everything is still good and beautiful just as God created it. God does not create evil and ugly. God creates good and beautiful. Scripture doesn't say that the serpent was evil. It just says that of all the creative beings, it was more crafty. It doesn't say evil, it just says it was more cunning. Kind of reminds me of a slick cat. Not evil, just slick. With that said, how many of you have ever heard a serpent talk? How many of you have ever heard any other created thing outside of a human being or perhaps an occasional bird say anything. Go on, raise your hand, be recognized. Which one of you has been talking to the animals? 
That's what I thought. With the exception of some mystic Christians who have sought a deep relation to the world through years of prayer and meditation, study, engagement, practice, nobody in the real world that I know of can talk to lizards and have the lizard talk back. But it appears as if Eve did. Which makes me wonder, what did the sound of the serpent's voice sound like? What did the voice of the serpent sound like? What if Eve heard the serpent in the sound of her own voice? That's how it goes, right? You've heard that little voice. You can call it evil. You can call it the devil on your shoulder. You can call it cunning or crafty. You can possibly attribute it to your demons. Or it might just be your messed up sinful self. We can't give the devil all the credit, you know. But you've heard it. And it sounds just like you. You did nothing wrong here, the voice says. Sounds just like you. They deserve the blame. How dare they? Sure, you could have handled it better, but really, how much worse were they? She made me do it. I was tricked. Well, at least I'm not as bad as them. That cunning voice that sounds just like you says, look how messed up they are. Them, 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 them. It's their fault. I was having a conversation with one of our church friends in the last couple of weeks, and they made the comment, you know, nobody is willing to be held accountable for their actions anymore. Have we as a humanity ever been all that willing to be held accountable for our actions? Not so much. Our first mother and our first father, uh, they didn't like being held accountable. They were quick to point the finger, even if it meant that they pointed the finger at God. It's a result of sin. It, it is sin. This ability that we have to play the blame game is a part of our inheritance. So how do we do better? How do we repent? How do we change from our self-satisfying and allegedly blameless ways? Is it as simple as just confronting that little voice inside of you that sounds just like you and calling it a liar? That probably won't be very productive because <laughs> we'll spend most of our time arguing with ourselves in the sound of our own voice, yelling back and forth, you liar, you! That could be torturous. Another better option is to make sure that we are filling our spirit with holy things by practicing various forms of holiness in our daily lives and our personal 
and social spaces, practice holiness. That will quiet that cunning voice that seeks to divide us from others, no doubt. Practice holiness. Or we could also put into practice some form of inventory that focuses on our actions. Our actions. A daily inward look as opposed to a constant outward look. An inward look. Who did I harm today? What do I need to do to make it right? Where was I wrong? How do I make it better? It was wrong of me to berate Thomas for eating the last piece of chocolate that was meant for the entire staff. I should not have yelled at him. I should go buy more chocolate and apologize. That really didn't happen yet. It would be funny if it did, right? How else then, outside of this inventory and this quest for holiness, might we begin to combat these uh, persistent manifestations of sin in our lives? Well, to back things up, friends, I, I think it all starts with awareness. With the awareness of our sin. With the awareness of our own mess. With the awareness of our own blame. With the awareness of uh, our denial of our sin. We can then begin the process of getting better and becoming more holy. But until we are confronted with the reality that we are guilty... It's always going to be someone else's fault. That's why we preachers have such good job security. The need for ongoing and heightened awareness. The need for telling and retelling uh, of old stories again and again to heighten awareness in an ongoing fashion. Raising an awareness to remind us that Paradise is not completely lost. Paradise is not completely lost. You know, because after that first sin, God could have just walked away from the garden as opposed to walking in it. That's some fruit for thought. Yet so long as the not my sin their sin, blame game continues. We will all just sling forbidden pieces of rotten fruit at one another. And all we will see is brokenness. Brokenness everywhere. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.